I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Bridget Taylor. And we love to watch. We love to watch has such okay, okay things to show you. Hey. <laughs> um, that line is essentially the exact same line from Hellraiser. <laughs> uh, you know what? If you haven't seen Hellraiser when you see this movie, this seems pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, it's like way more original then. The, yeah. Well, the whole thing. It's like, the Tarantino like, wow. effect where you're like, who came up with the idea of samurais cutting shit in half? <laughs> yeah. Tarantino got rules. <laughs> Yeah, if you've never seen any movie that he uh, he was influenced by, I'm sure every Tarantino movie's like, holy shit, this guy has so many ideas. <laughs> yeah. And the, um, the difference with Tarantino is that Tarantino would be like, they did it this way in the old movie. And then Event Horizon with Paul Anderson is like, you know, what if I did it worse than the movies I'm referencing? Um, I, I still think you probably should have done where we're going. You don't need ears to hear. Oh, I like that. It's right there, Peter. Do you want to re-record the whole thing? Yeah, I can. Yeah, I could have loved to. <laughs> Anyways, sorry, I thought you meant the whole the whole podcast up to date. Oh yes, yeah, starting at the beginning. Let's talk yeah. about Flash Gordon. Let's talk about um, Flash Gordon. Uh, uh, Bridget, did you watch Flash Gordon? Savior of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm I'm going to show my age. I believe, in fact, I watched it on Laserdisc. Wow. Ooh. Which is only the only way to watch it, I believe. It, it seems so appropriate for Flash Gordon. And the other the other movie we watched that day, and, and this is how you know I'm a movie person because I remember this stuff, was a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. <laughs> for the record, what... I was way too young to be watching a funny thing that happened on the way to the forum. <laughs> Not in the, you're going to be scarred for life sense, but in the... I had no fucking idea what was going on in that movie since. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing worse than when you watch something like adult and you're like, I don't know what's going on. I, I watched it. Well, I just remember it being kind of a little bit of an incoherent mess. And it's still a little bit of a mess when you watch it at a <laughs> 40 something. Um, <laughs> but boy, all those devil entendres start landing. Yeah, there's a lot like Ghostbusters, which is my favorite movie, is a really good example of a movie that I thought was a horror movie when I was a kid. Right. And like, I, I remember being very confused. It was in comedy sections at video stores. Uh, just You're thinking like, it was like people a, are a, sick. Yeah. A national labeling issue, let alone getting all the sex jokes and all the other weird right. stuff that was going on. So, yeah, watching it when I was like 16 was like, oh, this is a very sexual movie for a four year old to watch. Uh, but anyways, Bridget, it's your fifth time. Bridget Taylor, fifth time guest Five of this podcast. Five timers club. Peter, you sent the jacket, right? Yeah, the jacket is in the post. I got to hang out at the VIP lounge. It was great. Uh, VIP lounge is great. It's uh, <laughs> it's one copy of Event Horizon on on VHS, and uh, and it just plays on a loop, so you get to reabsorb it as you prepare. For Bridget, the uh, Event Horizon video would be that they they watch when they get on the ship that shows a view into hell would just be the movie. Yeah, of Event like Horizon. honestly, I'd rather watch the movie. <laughs> that's a view into hell in the movie 
Like, like that, <laughs> one of my frustrations, not to get too much into it before we get into it, but one of my frustrations with Event Horizon is there are bits of it that are genuinely yeah. creepy and unsettling, and then there's the rest of the movie. Yeah, uh, and that's it, that's a perfect segue, though, because, uh, so Bridget, um, a few years ago, so Bridget was one of our first guests on We Love to Watch um, in the first, like, four or five months that we did it, uh, and became quickly one of our favorite guests, which is why it's her fifth time on here. Uh, kind of had one of the one of the people that has an open invite, and I think uh, after the first time she guested, she we were talking afterwards in the green room, which is just a, a Skype session that's not being recorded in Audacity. <laughs> um, and we were listing some other movies that she might want to do at some point. And I remember she, I think you mentioned Pump Up the Volume, which you eventually did. Uh, yep. For guest request month because yep. we wanted to work it in somehow. And then you mentioned Mortal Kombat, which we haven't done yet, but you are still locked in. Uh, Event Horizon came up too. And so I was like, oh, huge Paul W.S. Anderson fan or just young adult in the in the mid-90s. And obviously the, both those movies had a big effect on me too. So I assumed her opinion on Event Horizon was positive. So it was a couple weeks before we recorded. I had Bridget locked in for Event Horizon, realized I forgot to ask her to guest on it. <laughs> like it was just on a, our spreadsheet or whatever. So I messaged her. She's like, oh, yo, that's great. It's so cool you remember. Be warned. I hate it, though. Like, I definitely said it. I hated it. Oh. I hated it. This was, like, my first horror movie I loved. Um, I became a horror fan later on, but it wasn't even uh, a genre I was that exposed to outside of the horror comedies. Uh, but I saw I saw this in theaters when I was 14, and it scared the fuck out of me. Especially when I had to bike home. We'll talk about that in the uh, afterwards. And then uh, Peter, Peter, your general reaction, I believe, is like, yeah, this is definitely a movie that has some stuff I like and stuff that I don't like. I saw it um, at the perfect age. I saw it in junior high and I really, really liked it then. And then a few years ago, I had a nostalgia audit and I was like, you know. So it's okay. <laughs> uh, and, I, I, and the disappointment was more felt because that was at the – a few years ago was when I was – it was at the peak for me of like reclaiming cult classics, right? Yeah. And uh, that was back when like I, I was just watching these movies over and over again. I was like, I heard this is shit. Let's see how it is. And there's like some – some really great stuff in there that I reclaimed. And then there's also like stuff in there that like, I was like, you know, I don't, I, I, I'll speed racer will never be for me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this was one of the movies where I was, I, I fell right down the middle on it. This is the reason I pushed to do this month was partially because I wanted to talk about this movie, even though I fell right down the middle on it. I think it's a fascinating movie and especially it's place and time. It's such a time capsule mm. of what horror was going to become in the early two thousands for better or for worse. Well, also I think, I think it's very important that we complete the Sam Na- Sam Neil is fucking crazy trilogy. We did possession. We did in the mouth of madness. I mean, you gotta do event horizon now, Bridget. Why don't you, uh, if they haven't heard any of your previous episodes, huge mistake. But why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and then uh, let's just start with uh, just sharing your your history with this movie. Like, did you see it when it came out? Did you late? Did you hey? Okay, I'm excited. So, my name's Bridget. I live in the boonies in Vermont. Um, okay, all of Vermont is the boonies, but I live in a more boonie area than most. So, you live in the Vermont of Vermont. I live in the Vermont of Vermont, but well put. I love my parents very much. We could get any movie at the movie store as long as it was within certain ratings. As I got older, our ratings were okay, but it was a comedy. 
So I have watched the most ridiculously esoteric, bizarre comedies because they were at the video store and by God, I had to watch <laughs> something. And I, as I got older, I get to watch more stuff on my own, but you know, you, you, you had a budget. We had video yeah. stores back then in the before time. And so you wouldn't get a stack of 10 movies. Some people did, but you know, mom, mom and dad were always like one or two. Is this pre five for five for five? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we didn't have a blockbuster um, because we were again Vermont. in the Vermont of Vermont. Yeah. Uh, we did have a Hollywood video eventually. It's exciting. Uh, yeah, uh, and that's where I watched actually some of the the cult movies I've talked about before. I watched I watched Black Lizard thanks to Hollywood Video. <laughs> Thank you, Hollywood Video. I will legitimately always be grateful. Uh, we watched Neon Genesis Evangelion on VHS. This is from the little independent on the little ind- from the little independent um, video store that was down the street. But I had watched a lot of comedies. Um, a lot of kind of mainstreamy or mainstream aiming comedies, some drama, some action, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, my ex-husband, who was my husband at the time, Event Horizon hit DVD or VHS, I'm not quite sure which one we watched on, um, had grown up with parents who were not particularly careful with media consumption and basically had had hbo or whatever had movies on it for forever so we'd be watching mystery science theater 3000 and 10 minutes into the movie my ex-husband would go oh i've seen this one <laughs> um so he'd watch just about everything and so that's how i watched alien and that's how i watched aliens and that's how i watched terminator and terminator 2 and that's how i watched the the uh jean-claude van damme movie cyborg what a classic. And it's st- and it's sequel Cyborg Two with a completely different <laughs> cast. Those movies are amazing, uh, not good, amazing. And my ex-husband liked horror movies a lot. He had kind of a love relationship with space horror movies in particular. He'd he'd read that Whitley Stryber book Communion about oh, yeah. kidnappings at way too young an age or way too impressionable age. I don't know which, and, and was terrified of you know being kidnapped by aliens as a kid. So space horror just scared the living shit out of him. And so of course we watched Event Horizon. We did not watch it in theaters. I'm not sure how long it had been out. So we watched Event Horizon, and I finished the movie. I want the record to show that I finished the movie. The reason I finished the movie was that he was so freaked out, he wouldn't let me leave the room. (laughs) I sat on the stairs because uh, once we get to a certain point in the movie, I did not want to look at it for a while. And I said, no, no, I'm not doing this. Uh, At some point, I was like, fine. And I came back and watched the movie on the couch. So that probably gives you an idea of how much I enjoyed the experience of watching Event Horizon. Were you were you that way because it was too scary or because there was something else where you're like, fuck all of this? It didn't scare me in the okay. slightest. And, and to be fair, I, I'm, I'm a weird person when it comes to horror movies, um, which is to say some things will scare the living hell out of me. Some things which everybody else seems to find really super scary. I'm like, whatever. Um, and, and there's no like... Some things I can say, oh, yeah, that doesn't scare me. There's some things I can say those absolutely startle me. But it's not, you know, it, it, you can't you can't predict how scary something actually is by my reaction, I guess is the best way of putting it. The, the scene that is genuinely creepy, we already referred to it a little bit. Um, I definitely did find that genuinely creepy, but it didn't stick with me. I, you know, I went to bed, I went to sleep, I was fine. Um, 
where, you know, a five second moment from some other movie that I just find unsettling, I'll be staring up the ceiling at two o'clock in the morning. Um, so that was definitely probably part of the reason it didn't work for me was it, it didn't work particularly effectively as a scary movie. And that meant I had the mental time to go eh, to some of the other stuff I didn't like. That's a good point. That's a good point is that a, a truly scary or a truly funny movie can or a great action movie can make you forget about. Yeah, they, I, I guess it's just the magic of cinema. Does anything in the plot of Speed make much sense? I don't know. I don't care. And, and that's why I love Christopher Nolan movies is that like Christopher Nolan is such a yeah. amazing technical filmmaker that he can hit those yep. he can hit those points and make you forget entirely that like there's plot holes everywhere. There's plot holes all yeah. throughout the movie, but like but like if you're being grabbed on by some aspect of that movie magic, like yeah. And if and I guess if Event Horizon had scared you throughout, maybe you would have had less time. It, it wouldn't yeah. have hurt. Well, and, and I had a similar <laughs> reaction this time as well where i was like if i were more scared i would i would care less about the sin characterization or plot yeah gaps or and, and as it was for for reasons we're, we'll we'll get into uh, it kind of lost me early which i don't think helped and, and then all that goodwill just starts disappearing uh you know and peter the other thing too is uh like last month like just last week we were talking about uh how iq and the money pit didn't work because you can't have a romantic comedy where there's no chemistry between the leads. Like everything else seems uh, much more dumb when you're like, I hate these two. I hope they don't end up together. But they're famous. All famous people have to love each other. That's how casting Here's works. the problem with here's the problem with <laughs> Tim Robbins. It's like uh, he is the event horizon of, of IQ. <laughs> as much as I like <laughs> as much as I like Tim Robbins, as we talked about, he is not uh, charisma. Uh, that's not what he's exuding, uh, or charm. He's kind of like a creepy dude. He's just kind of there. Uh, and he's very good in movies that require someone to be, uh, just there very well. But, uh, anyways, if that reminds me, uh, we got so excited to talk to Bridget about this. We forgot, uh, really quick where we love to watch. We're a movie podcast. Uh, if you didn't know that in the last 15 minutes, uh, we pick a theme and talk about movies around that theme. At the very least, I want to introduce why we're doing Event Horizon, which is it's a new month for March. It is. Uh, we talked about liking space horror. Uh, Bridget, probably probably not a great time to get your ex-husband as a new listener, but I will say he, he probably would like this month based on what you just said, because we are doing movies uh, that are mostly set in space. And our horror movies. And so we're starting off with Event Horizon. We're going to do Jason X, uh, Sunshine, which has been called like uh, the, the last uh, the last act has been called an Event Horizon ripoff by some people. And then, of course, we can't do space horror without doing Alien. So we finally, after uh, three years, get to do, uh, I think, one of Peter and mine's favorite movies of all time. So uh, why don't we use that as the perfect transition into talking more about Event Horizon. Do you guys want to talk about Event Horizon? Peter, you are alternate taglines. Cool. (laughs) 
That I mean, that's a good tagline. <laughs> that's, yeah. tag cool. <laughs> that's what I thought as a 14-year-old. Oh, cool. I took a trip to hell and all I got was this lousy iPad. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need full sunglasses. This this set of bites. Oof. And Yvette, you can feel freedom as... <laughs> What are you, fucking Gene Shallot? <laughs> Gene Shallot was never that mean. This event can be missed. <laughs> yeah, all right, so plot recap. Uh, so they, uh, little, little uh, on-screen uh, letters that tell a story, form some words, uh, like so many a science fiction that needs to very quickly introduce you to what's going on. So there's a, the they've started mining, they're building spaceships, they have a new experimental ship. It's like the year 2040. And they send this ship, Event Horizon, which disappears. No one hears from them. Flash forward to 2047. Now we see Sam Neill has kind of some creepy flashbacks. He's on a space station orbiting Earth. Next thing we see him uh, wake up on a uh, another ship that I'm forgetting the name of. The Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark. They say like 30... 30 million times. And you got a lot of cast of characters. You got a whole ship of people. You got Captain Larry Fishburne. You got uh, Jolie Richardson. You got uh, Jason Isaacs as a doctor. Uh, I'd say overall pretty good, pretty good side cast for 1997. Sean Pertwee. Yeah, it's uh, there's some good, there's some good character actors in there. Who's the, who's Justin? He, he felt like he was really big in 97. Yeah, he had a 97 face. He had a sort of, uh, it's a kid from Idle Hands. Uh, yeah. I, I think he was a bully in some... His energy. Jack Noseworthy. Wow. Hey, he's definitely Noseworthy because he stinks. Too bad he wasn't called he was... Jack Noteworthy. We might have remembered his name. <laughs> That's what I know him from. So first of all, he was in Idle Hands, Peter. But I also remember him as uh, from the Brady Bunch movie. As like the, uh, like the one of the jerk grunge boyfriends. Uh, or like one of the neighbor kids or something. Anyway. Yeah, he's a Devin Sawa type. Yeah, uh, except he played opposite Devin Sawa somewhere in Idle Hands. Um, <laughs> but uh, so he, so yeah, so they are like, "What the fuck's going on, Sam Neil, uh, Doctor Weir?" And he's like, "Look, so you know the Event Horizon was in all the papers, the space papers. Well, guess what? It didn't blow up and kill everyone." Uh, we actually invented a black hole drive and it disappeared and it's back. And we're going to go check it out. And everyone's like, well, that sucks. He's like, we got this message, but no one at my NASA equivalent speaks Latin. <laughs> so um, <laughs> so we don't know what it is. And then one guy's like, oh, you know, that's Latin. And it's saying, uh, save me. Uh, and they're like, great, perfect. Glad we came out here because it says save me. They want to be saved. Uh, and uh, so they go on the space station Nothing there, uh, but Justin immediately gets sucked into the Event Horizon drive um, and is in, like, kind of a, co- a weird coma. He's almost, like, frozen out of it. Um, and Sam Neill's like, that can't happen. That's not how the drive works. Uh, and and immediately it, it becomes kind of, uh, you know, ghost house, haunted house in space. People are seeing very specifically things that they are guilty of. So... Um, People are seeing, like, their their kid who's in a wheelchair. Something clearly happened to their legs. Visions of that. Sam Neill seeing his wife who uh, committed suicide at some point. He's seeing visions of that. Lawrence Fishburne is seeing uh, a crewmate that he was the captain for that died in a fire. 
So they're seeing all these things. Meanwhile, uh, uh, when Justin came out of the Event Horizon Drive, it caused an explosion and caused it so that uh, you couldn't stay on the Lewis and Clark. They grabbed the oxygen scrubbers. They have 20 hours of oxygen while they're trying to get the Lewis and Clark repaired. And all this stuff keeps happening. Uh, So Weir eventually goes off the deep end and kind of sides with the ship. Meanwhile, they finally decode uh, the tape and the messages and it says, hey, it doesn't to say save me. It says save yourself from hell. We turned up the volume. We got the whole thing uh, way off. Uh, and then they finally decode the ship's log, which is like this uh, Hellraiser uh, gore orgy. Um, orgy. Yeah. And they're like, oh, shit. Yeah, no, let's get the fuck out of here. Uh, that's when Sam Neo really goes like, they can't let the ship will let you leave. It tears out his eyes and tries to stop them and blows up the Lewis and Clark. Uh, eventually, a lot of people die, except for Julie Richardson. And uh, what is that actor's name or character? Richard T. Jones. Thing I will give unqualified praise to Event Horizon for. Not only did the black guy not die first, one of the black guys actually makes it. Yeah, well, the last two, uh, the last three people are two black guys and a a woman. Uh, Sam Neill tries to stop him. Larry Fishburne dies in the process. He's like, no, this ship actually went to hell or hell dimension. It's taking you all back there. They blow up the drive and most of the kind of the freight part of the ship while they take the cockpit. Uh, They go into deep freeze and then are woken up 73 days later. Uh, by uh, what they think is search and rescue, telling them they're all right. But Jolie Richardson sees a vision of Sam Neill saying, basically, this is all starting again, which is uh, what Sam Neill saw at the beginning of the movie before it all happened. And the ship closes and or the ship's door closed. We pan out and hear some funky techno beats. Um, and that's Event Horizon. So, I, you know, commend them for not uh, putting the end. <laughs> You think it should end it with a home improvement now? Noise? Uh, it could end it with a Seinfeld theme too, where they like are looking at dun 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 uh yeah, it so it is uh it is a movie I saw, as I mentioned, when I was fourteen in theaters. Uh I was not a horror person, but I was a science fiction person at the time, and we had um moved out uh about ten miles away from town in North Dakota, which meant I didn't have a driver's license. Uh, we lived there for about two years, so everything was a trip into town that my parents had to drive, which means I didn't get to do a lot of things as much. It was very planned. I wasn't able to kind of go and just ride my bike and go do stuff and meet up with friends. And uh, this movie came out about the time um, that uh, that I, we had just moved back in town. So I was able to do stuff. I think this movie came out in March, but, like, I didn't give a shit. I was like, I'll drive. Bismarck's not that big of a town, but it's probably, like, seven miles. And I would drive from one end to the other in winter and rain to go see movies or meet up with friends. And, you know, I definitely lied to my parents about what movie I was seeing. But I was just obsessed with trying to see every science fiction movie that I could see or not. So I'm not even, I remember seeing the previews. I don't even know if I remember this being a horror movie i just knew it had guy from jurassic park space shit fuck yeah um and again not not having seen uh many gory movies not not having seen many horror movies and also kind of worth noting like someone who still was believed in all the catholic stuff at the time like this movie freaked the fuck out of me uh in a very positive like 
Like it was like, ooh, I this is like I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen like a vision of hell this visceral. Like it truly like uh affected me the way that like good horror movies do. Uh and then I had to I had to ride my bike home in the dark. Uh like it was probably like a Thursday sh- or some shit. Like Bismarck at like eleven thirty five. It might as well just be a dead town. Um and I had to drive like two and a half miles, so that was extra scary as well. So uh, I was I was definitely a stand for this movie amongst friends, and just as like you've never seen anything this scary because I hadn't seen anything this scary. I didn't know movies could be this scary, and I really enjoyed the process of getting scared at an age where I finally wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna have nightmares for a week and can't like. And can't sleep or, like, I'm too scared to go in the basement. Like, I was 14. This movie did freak the fuck out of me, but not in a way that it was, like, you know, uh, that that it, like, negatively affected me, if that makes sense. Because I definitely saw some some movies that weren't scary that, like, fucking freaked me out, like, even a couple years before that. But I I'd, I'd crossed that threshold while also thinking, like, oh, if that's what hell is like, I need to stop jerking off like the priest keeps telling me to because I don't want to <laughs> go there. Uh, you know, that it kind of put a vision of uh, hell in a way that like, I, you know, I think I think you just kind of think of it as like, uh, and again, I don't I don't believe in this now, but you just as a kid, you kind of think of it as like, yeah, you're burning and it's hot and that would suck. And to see like this, like these glimpses of what a hell dimension or a hell would be like, it was like, holy shit, I need to stop sinning because if that's what it's like, ooh, not so good. Not what I was imagining. Not so good. I also grew up with a Catholic fear of hell. I will say like the only times in this movie that really spooked me were when my imagination ran away to those places because even as an atheist and all these years later the concept of hell is is very compellingly scary yeah because uh, we can't even fathom the idea of eternity like the idea of eternity is uh is is literally unfathomable that's why it works so well as like a way to scare people yeah that's why movies like uh fucking like i just watched angel heart that movie scared the bejesus out of me and as a kid i just heard the concept of the movie and the twist yeah. And that was enough to, like, give me nightmares for weeks that, like, I had already sold my soul to the <laughs> devil and I didn't even remember. And, it, and it, like, looking back, I'm like, I don't know what it would have fucking been for, like, Legos or something. Um, the point is that, like, I, I'm with you there on that that aspect of it. And I saw it at an age where I was – I'd already kind of crossed the line into, like, full-on annoying atheism. So, so uh, but I still – I still to this day and as I did when I was, whatever, 13 when I first saw this, I uh, – the, the, the house stuff is still spooky to me. But I think – and I'll get to it later. I think the movie – uh, you know, Jaws benefited from letting, uh, you know, some X percentage, uh, fit 70% of the shark be in your brain. Uh, I think in this movie, it makes, uh, the cultural concept of hell that exists in your brain do way too much in the muscle work. Cause there's very little in this movie that's actually like true, incredible nightmare imagery. That is a huge portion of why I didn't find it that scary. I, I, I. It, even though I've said I'm not always that predictable, um, I did not grow up afraid of hell. Um, I did. We went to church sometimes. I went to Sunday, uh, not Sunday school, vacation Bible school a couple of times. Uh, but Vermont in the mid 70s through mid 80s, which is that the years I was doing these things, 
uh, was still sort of cresting on the yeah. the hippie parents who came in. And so the I'm pretty sure at that point we, we have a church where for a while there are two different denominations. You know, it, there was there weren't enough people to sustain the church. This is this is how you know the Northeast is in the <laughs> secular portion of the country. We did this. Um, there there wasn't really enough to sustain both congregations. So basically, there was a formal or informal deal that I think it was congregationalist, and then the next denomination would take over the next. You know, at, at one one uh, minister would leave, and the next minister would be the the other congregation, the other denomination. <laughs> Wow, my theology is so strong. Uh, anyway, so, you know, we very much grew up with a God of love and respecting other people and doing unto others as you would have done to you. And we are pretty heavily Protestant around here. Uh, thanks to our proximity to the Smith Memorial, we do have a non-zero Mormon population. Uh, we do have Catholics. I don't want to say, you know, we, we have some diversity, but it's a, it's a pretty much mainline, not particularly conservative Protestants for the most part around here. And so hell never felt like, I guess the best way of putting it was hell never felt any more real than heaven. Um, and I was a kid with a doozy of an imagination, but that, that hell concept never really had that kind of visceral, oh, terrible things forever feeling. And by the time I watched Event Horizon, I was well into the annoying agnostic phase <laughs> of my life. I still have not like that. Um, and so I think there is definitely a, a bit of you, if you grow up with that fear of hell in you, that, that will have that visceral connection that just isn't there. Even like in The Exorcist, when I was watching The Exorcist, um, the movie, I was like, was well, this is suspenseful. <laughs> yeah, and I uh, it's kind of gross at times, but but I didn't have that same connection. It's interesting because I watched the Exorcist TV show, which you guys have. I'm not. It's been on my watch list for a while. It's <laughs> I really like it. Excellent. It's excellent. And one of the things it does that I feel like the movie didn't do as well, in part because the movie had ninety minutes, two hours, whatever it was, is really ground a lot of this stuff so that you believe in the characters and then you believe in the horror because the characters believe in the horror and the movie just doesn't have time to dig into that the way that it, you know, a 13, 15 episode, whatever it is, TV series. can. Yeah. Um, and so by the time you get to kind of the final climaxes of um, season one, Ben Daniels, who is phenomenal. Uh, has a monologue that that's you know that 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 should have been his Emmy reel, uh, but you are one hundred percent believing in the world because you know that these people are engaging with it and they believe in it and you believe in them. Um, and of course, Event Horizon, we already uh, one of you already sort of referred to the fact that the characters are pretty yeah um, yeah and yeah. so. They, they don't believe in hell. Um, I think the movie would actually be stronger if they did not say it was hell. Um, the, the second Sam Neill says, it opened a door into hell, I was like, really? Uh, I think it just would be so much stronger if they didn't explain it. If if they, you know, even if it was some, God, I hate, I hate, I hate this stuff, but I think it would be better if it was 
our human minds can only refer to it as hell because we can't even comprehend the depths of what it is. Yeah. You know, anything like that. Yeah. Hellraiser works much better for me because it's just like, yeah, there's these people, they're the Cenobites. We don't know what they do. We kind of know what they want, uh, but they just come from somewhere. Maybe it's hell, you know, in the first movie. And I think the second, I, I don't know what they do later on, but it's not, you know, th- th- there's no demons here. It's just, these are these weird things from somewhere. And, yeah, you know, I, I thought I think I thought when I first watched it that they were going more to a this place will turn your mind in on your on itself. And they kind of do that. But they also literally say, well, this is a hell. You opened a door into hell. Like and it's just it's it's so it's it's like looking at the mechanical shark. Uh, the fact that they do spell it out as a literal hell causes a lot of issues for me as well, because the idea of hell is so scary to people that do believe in it or have believed in it or it, it spent any part of their life believing in it. So I think it's a hard thing to shake once you've you've grew up, grown up in a, a faith that uh, makes that part of it. And I agree with you. The fact that they spell it out so literally as hell. And then the imagery that they give you is so pedestrian and so over and so cliched. And it's just like, kind of, it's a ghost ship, whatever. It's a ghost ship. Yeah. Like you said, it's, it's very predictable almost like what, why, why is hell in space? (laughs) <laughs> like it just and there's just so much to unpack there that i end up going but why is that what and, and again it distracts me again because the characters are kind of thin and because i was already i was already pissed off at the movie for some reasons we'll get to in a bit <laughs> um you know it's just like you're asking so much of me so i do think and there is a line where there is a clarification that like yes they're referring to it as hell but there is something about it's just like it's just a dimension that human beings couldn't have fathom. Like that line exists, and I get that. Like the dialogue in this movie is not that great, and that is something that is very easy to overlook when you're scared, as you mentioned. But I do think they hand wave it away that it's not supposed to be like Catholic hell. It is like um to use the Buffy the vampire to use the Buffy the Vampire Slayer parlance it's like a hell dimension like and so i do think that that is what they're going with and then they just keep referring to it as hell um and i will say yeah but the imagery i I do want to say like i get what you're saying because you're right the hellraiser especially hellraiser 2 which i actually like even more than the first one the imagery is so good and it's so much better done and this movie very clearly borrows a lot from how Sam Neill looks at the, especially at the end of the movie when he's just crisscrossing cuts and this idea of like this like sexual unfathomable torture being what happens when you get, when you're in hell. But again, it's, it, that's so tough because I am seeing a ripoff, but I'm also seeing it first and I'm seeing, I probably didn't see Hellraiser. I think till I was like 17. So like this sat with me and and this is the only version I had seen that was anything like this for probably three years. So, like, academically and intellectually, I can say, yeah, this ripped off that. But at the end of the day, even seeing this imagery again, like, there is a part of me that that feels like it is original, even though I ki- I know academically it's not. Like, it, it feels like just nothing I had ever seen. And then that sat with me for years. I do want to sit on the um – the dimensional stuff of it because 
uh, I, I it is weird how it's not really a cosmic horror thing. The best cosmic horror plays off of the unknown, and I don't yeah. think that it, this movie spends a lot of time explaining what you're looking. Yeah, at. and I get why it's in space. There's, I mean, there's like pra- practical reasons. Like one, the whole like uh, alone on the frontier stuff is very scary. Two, there's a really great reason why we would want to fuck around with dimensions in space because we wanted to get faster than light travel and yeah. then we happened to go through a dimension that we didn't want to go through, which is actually like, if I'm not mistaken, the plot of like most of the Doom games, like that's how we found hell. It's kind of it's kind of weirdly the plot of the Disney movie The Black Hole, too. Oh, really? <laughs> Uh, yeah, they go to like a literal hell at the end of that. Like, it's been a while since I've seen it, but oh I'm pretty God. sure there's literally like a devil commanding fire. Yeah, I think you're right. Do we have to watch that movie I this month now? So long. The point here is that like there's there's some stuff hinting at cosmic horror imagery that I think I wish there was more of in it. Like the tape when they finally show you the tape, the guy holding on the his tape eyes. is the best sequence in that yeah. whole movie. Yeah, and it, so uh, real quickly, Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, you know, nope. the director of this movie, Paul W.S. Anderson. <laughs> God damn it. I actually, <laughs> I wrote in my, I wrote in my notes, Paul Thomas Anderson, and then like thought to myself like, yep, that's the right one. And then like five minutes later, I was like, oh shit. W.S. It W.S. Is, it's, it's only funny because they're so different. They are diametrically opposite. Like PTA is all about like texture and real life. And, and then uh, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson is like all about artificiality and gloss. And like it's mostly textureless. It feels digital and fake. So whatever. Anyways, what I was saying is that Paul Thomas Anderson said that he had a 130 minute cut of this movie. So sorry, Paul gloss. Thomas Anderson. We have no idea then? if it's good or not. And Paul Thomas Anderson cut did, did, Paul W.S. Anderson's movie, apparently. Did he say that he stole, like, a 130-minute cut and was like, fuck you. I'm such a better <laughs> filmmaker than you. I got this sitting around, but you can't have it. And there were produ- there was a ton of producer meddling going on, apparently. But, like, I can only judge the movie as it stands in front of me. And the movie that stands in front of me is pretty milk toast. Let's let's talk about that though. So even Paul uh WS Anderson doesn't think the 130 minute cut was good. Uh they cut down his editing time from like 10 to 6 weeks because I forget they need to move the schedule around for Titanic or something like that. Um so they he didn't edit and he was like, "Oh, I need to cut some stuff." So he like wanted to add like 10 or 15 minutes back. He didn't want to add the whole well, it would have been 60 minutes because the end movie is like 90 minutes long. Uh, instead, the studio cut it. And then uh, when it sold so well on DVD, the studio actually said, hey, go make your version. Um, and they found out all the footage was destroyed. Like no one kept any of the footage. So uh, that whatever version he wanted to make in between the 130 and 95-minute cut, it's not going to happen. Worth noting too, like though, this movie does look really good, mostly in HD. There are some – goofy moments that you know this is the first time i've ever watched on hd most of the stuff i've seen on vhs which is why i actually think the the vhs or the the tape that they end up watching is uh works better because it is so much grainier when i would watch it over and over again here it was a lot clear and it was like oh i didn't know there was this clear version of it because i've never seen it this clear before uh but most there is some like goofy special effects but it's worth noting like this movie had a 60 million dollar budget in 1997, which is the equivalent to about $100 million today. So, like, for an R-rated, gory as shit space horror movie, this had a huge, a huge, huge budget. It made only $27 million at the box office. But um, 
I, I do think a lot of the special effects uh, hold up really well, minus a few goofy CGI moments, including ones I just noticed for the first time this time, like that when you first see Sam Neill before his like eyes of few shut, like there's like CGI holes in his head. That is why I walked out. I could not watch Sam Neill's CGI holes in his face any longer. It was not very good gore for the sake of not very good gore. And and I just like I just stopped wanting to see Sam Neill's face for actually a couple of years afterward, as I recall. Really? You didn't want to watch the Merlin miniseries on sci-fi? He wasn't in much. <laughs> I forgot that would exist. The actual set design is pretty great on the actual Event Horizon. So the ship, both the Event Horizon and the Lewis and Clark, the Event Horizon on the exterior is actually really, like, simply designed. Uh, and then in the interior, it, it has a uh, Notre Dame effect. Like, it's very, like, church-like and has a lot of, like, spires and more epic features that you wouldn't expect in a spaceship. But it's all covered in metal plates. Um, the Lewis and Clark is much more of a Nostromo from Alien. Because this movie is very alien inspired as well. It's about a bunch of, uh, you know, roughneck, working class, uh, you know, wearing fatigues or, you know, jumpsuits on their spaceship. They've been out here too fucking long, man. They want to go back. They want to go party. Like, the, it, it has all those sort of cliches that, that you know, post-alien movies have because aliens stumbled onto something great, which is yeah. uh, make your crew seem like a bunch of people you work with they're pissed off for working the late hours they're smoking yeah. maybe they're they don't, they don't the care job. about the mission they're horny like they're just trying to make it through the fucking day man and it makes them so much more relatable yeah it makes them relatable and that's nice that we're is the one though it's it's insane that they would send one scientist with but they uh it's weird that the we're and it's weird, the dude who designed the thing. Like, wouldn't he be like, maybe I'll come with, but I need four other, you know, lab techs. Whatever. Uh, Weir uh, comes with, and he's like the science boy that essentially is being, like, packaged and escorted across past, past the Neptune or whatever. And the rest of them are just like, they're jarheads, they're grunts. Like, they're just trying to do their can we, job. Can we, I want to talk about that, though, because I, I do think even to this day... That is something that um, I didn't pick up on at the time, but, like, I recognized how much it kind of flipped my experience watching it and led to a lot of the terror. Like, I do think that the one kind of genius plot thing that they do in this movie is that they really start out with Sam Neill as our point of view character. Like, he gets the opening scene. He is haunted. Plus, he's like Sam Neill. He has a uh, a general trusting demeanor, even though uh, I hadn't seen in the mouth of madness or possession. But he has that, he, he has that like, sense of authority. He was obviously in Jurassic Park where he was... I was going to say, there, there's a reason he was cast yeah. in the role he was cast in Jurassic Exactly, Park. where you just wanted to, like, hug him, and he was, like, this kind of tough softy. And, and, and so he's, like, the person, and he, he, when he talks, he speaks calmly, like, you're, you're there to trust him. And then the crew is immediately, like, you don't – you they are thin characters. You don't get a chance to meet them. You don't feel like you know them. And all they're doing is, like, shitting on this guy who's trying to, like, explain stuff to him. So – it takes a while, I think, during the movie to recognize that, like, oh, Sam Neill is not the guy I should be rooting for. I should be rooting for everyone else. And I think that takes long enough that 
if anything, like you're trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. And then I think the other layer that's very smart about this is that you start seeing glimpses that Sam Neill is actually like never a good guy. Like, which which makes sense because, right, he's a he's a scientist who's like, I he's like a fucking Oppenheimer for his future generation. Like, I am going to uh, I have so much whatever narcissism. I'm going to create a fucking spaceship that travels through dimensions. And he's the one that designed it. And then obviously there's some background stuff with his wife that like uh, he drove her to suicide. I don't think it's just because of I wasn't there for you. Like there is some especially and he and he starts really um, uh, exhibiting some of these like darker characteristics before he's truly like taken over by the ship. He's purposely keeping people in the dark. It's clear. But you as like an audience member take so long to get caught up that I only think it's through rewatch that you're like, oh, our point of view character was always an asshole who didn't care about these people. And you're just kind of sucked in. And as a result, I think you're rooting for him way longer than you probably should be as an audience member. But that's done very purposefully as f- from the from the writing and the directing. And that's very much a uh, an influence from both The Haunting yep. and The Shining, which both have a lot of uh, stamps on this movie. So, the someone haunting, you think is an every guy. Every guy is actually quieting his shit and wasn't that great in the first place. Yep. Yes, and the same thing with uh, Dora, uh, not Dorothea. What's the lead in the haunting? The the lead woman in the haunting. Um, the, the, as per those two, there's a lot of specific little horror touches, like um, the fact that there's that scene where they're being chased by something, and then the, they close the door, and the door is being slammed, and they're doing these like aggressive Dutch angles almost on Sam Neill's face as the door is being slammed. Like that's straight out of the haunting. Uh, that tube shattering and creating like a tunnel of. Blood blood that like chases Jolie Richardson around the ship like that is straight up from The Shining and obviously the fact that Weir goes crazy and tries to kill all of them is a Jack Torrance a Jack Torrance thing oh tub suicide is also from The Shining sorry this is one of my problems this is where the movie lost me did you know that if you leave your disabled child alone on earth while you go off on a space mission you're a bad mom and your guilt will eventually eat you alive she's with her dad Come yeah, on. but that's not that's not what that movie is saying. That's that's not what's going this on. Be saying that she feels so, yeah, guilty. She feels, yeah, something she happened. feels guilty for her tragic disabled child, and it, and like the the irony of this is, I'm pretty sure I hadn't had my not so tragic child at this point. You know, it's one of those things that bugs you at the time, and then your life takes over, and you go. Really? No, I don't judge her for that. Want to judge her, but I felt like the movie was. I felt like the movie was making some choices here. The movie has a whole moment with uh with a uh, uh, fucking the the captain yep. Larry Fishburne being like, "I'm really sorry that we fucked this up and you had to come with, but like you you clearly didn't yeah, have a choice." But that's why she feels guilty. And I guess that's part of it, though. It's it's that whole. Well, a child belongs with his mother, and especially a child who is a delicately delicate. Let me redo that. A child belongs with his mother, and especially a delicate child in a wheelchair. You know, this isn't a depiction of disability as, oh, there are all sorts of kids with disabilities. This is, look at your burdensome sick kid who needs you more because he's ill. 
And it felt really condescending. And now I have a disability activist in the house. Now I'm like, oh my God, if my daughter saw this movie, she'd want to punch everyone (laughs) involved in the deep. So I agree with the the disability part of it. I do think, though, at least just from my own perception, like it feels like that all of these people are in like a situation where – guilt is is manifested and like doubled and tripled like so the, yeah. the little pang but, that but they're like, feeling the thing is that sam neil deserved it well but and, but it's but he so obvious that sam neil well, like, on whatever level deserved it because he was creep faced he also says though like he's like i'm sorry i drove you like he, he yeah. his is a different situation it's hard to not conflate them i get that because they're all being eaten by their own guilt and regrets and, and earned or unearned, but it, it's sort of everything just sort of conflates together. There's there's no – I mean, this is why it is a hell dimension rather than actual hell, I suppose. Uh, but, like, there's there's this feeling – maybe maybe it's a Catholic thing. I don't know. That everybody's guilty of something. But I don't think that it – I don't think that it's actually about guilt, I don't think it's actually about guilt. I think it's about I think it's the fact that everybody feels guilty about yeah. something and that whether or not you are actually morally culpable for something or you've done anything wrong is irrelevant. It's about whether or not you feel yeah. guilty yeah. and that she feels guilty for the fact that she has taken a job that maybe and I don't know, this might be a thing similar to uh, Ripley in Alien where she left a daughter behind and but she took she took a job. She that maybe this is the only way she knew how to feed her family and the pay was good and she was like you know I'll be gone for she, she didn't anticipate alien alien kidnapping <laughs> no and- no I, I, I didn't anticipate ages four to six to be gone but then I you know I'll have they'll have a better future from you know seven to 17 but whatever so the 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 point is like I think I don't think anybody is responsible also for I mean, except for that girl who like made her boyfriend commit suicide. I listened to the tape. She's pretty much oh, she drove her she drove her her she boyfriend to suicide. Um, yeah, but like I don't think anybody is like really yeah. responsible right. for somebody's suicide. I don't think anybody is responsible for having a child that suffers some sort of ailment and and suffers a disability. I think that it's very clear that Lawrence Fishburne had no other right. choice yeah. but to leave that crew member behind and the point is not whether or not they're morally culpable and they're going to hell for making this choice the point is that they feel guilty for not being there or yeah and i i mean i get it just from the again i agree with you on the dis the way that they treat kind of the disability but like i get it like when i'm on a work trip like i and i you know skype with my daughter or something like i i feel like a little ping of guilt like even sometimes you know having a night out with my wife or something where it's like, and then I feel like hungover or some shit the next day. You kind of feel like, oh man, I'm not really playing with them. And this is our weekend, and you know we're just kind of sitting around watching movies or stuff. Like, I, and I don't, I like it's it's good for my wife and I to have a night out. Like work trips are not that common. I need to go on them sometimes. It's part of the job. Like they're fine. You know they're fine at home. They're having fun. I just think that like you know there's just always those little moments of guilt, whether it's like real earned guilt or not and so that's kind of what i see her like oh shit i was about to see my kid i was psyched about that and now i gotta go on one other fucking mission all right like i i get how that could build it's still not the guy well yeah there are a dozen guys in this cast yeah and who's the one who feels guilty about parenting Hmm. yeah that i mean that part i'm not that you're 100 percent right that's yeah 
Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely just leaning into a stereotypical yeah. trope. And like one of the one of the things I don't like about the movie is it doesn't have characters, right? Exactly. Stereotypes like Lawrence Fishburne doesn't know how to do anything but be gruff and mad until the last eight seconds, where he's like, you know what? I have to deal with the, my guilt about having lost that crew member. Like I have to deal with it head on. And then Coop is just like a stereotype of a like irreverent, side cracking, sexually harassing crew member. Sean Pertwee is also a angry mechanic who loves his ship too much. And Julie Richardson is a stereotype of a woman who is yeah. under <laughs> Yeah. Well, and Jason Isaacs is like is like the doctor who's kind of creepy, but like you don't know why. Like there's there's a bunch of very gendered pulls from the stereotype. Closet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I would I would agree with that. And, and even the Larry Fishburne versus uh, versus Kathleen Quinlan, right? He's like I was the tough captain who made the decisions, and in and of course, uh, and she's like I miss my kids. So yeah, I mean. Very gendered, very hitting certain like stereotypes. Yeah. And I get I totally get the context that you read that in though, because like there there is no Ripley in this movie, even though there's like characters that resemble yeah. facets of Ripley. Jolie Richardson is a woman of action who's trying to get like shit done on the ship and and then she gets I mean, she gets sidelined by the fact that the movie is ninety minutes and there's zero time to develop anyone's character. The the mother on the crew, uh Mama Bear, uh <laughs> She literally infantilizes uh, Justin as baby. Well, bear, hold on, but like every they, let's let's just say everyone, does everyone call him baby bear. Everyone calls him baby bear. Everyone calls him no, Justin. But she's the only mama bear. That's true. Uh, but he doesn't call he doesn't call Lawrence Fishburne Papa Bear. <laughs> I think someone does call him Papa Bear. But here's what I'll say, really, really quick, very pause because I want to make sure this is noted. When the rescue crew comes at the end, because Justin is one of the survivors, even though he's in a coma right. from his for uh, space thing, they go like. Lieutenant, what's his name? Private so and so, Justin. <laughs> like, like even the rescue yeah, no, crew no. is just like that's Justin. Justin gets no respect. Like, doesn't give a rank, last name. Just that's. I'm surprised they didn't go baby bear. <laughs> like the whole the whole space force knows him as baby bear. Um, can we talk for a second? Really sad if they somehow wiped his records and then he had to be in some coma ward as baby bear for the rest yeah. of his life. You're saying like if he was departed somehow, like if they, if he was the Leonardo DiCaprio that like sent him undercover to live in the hell dimension. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only one person. Let's. I want to talk about that scene for a sec though because I, I do think that um, a little bit of spotty CGI aside or compositing, I still think the scene of him in the airlock is extremely disturbing and thrilling in the right ways like yeah yeah no that's i think it's i think it's one of the best set pieces in the movie and the scenes of the veins coming out and like what happens during decompression and the idea that like everyone is staring at him and can't doing any do anything because they need to wait for this airlock to cycle while like some like that is such a good set piece you're right and it it has a, a really wonderful moment where he's possessed he doesn't have any control of his body saying creepy shit. Well, sort of creepy shit. Uh, and then uh, that's not scary, though. What's scary is that the ship gives him back his consciousness after it decides to open up the right. airlock. So <laughs> Guess what? It, it, uh, and then he then he has to panic and, and, and you know, witness it. And then it, it doesn't become creepy automated suicide like in The Happening or in, um, in Bird Box. It's uh, creepy... Uh, oh shit, what the fuck did I do? What the fuck did I do? Like, he's panicking. And I did a little research on this. 
because I was wondering. And because uh, there's also a decompression scene in Sunshine. And apparently a few things they say are true. You're supposed to get all of the air out of your lungs. And because you the, the gas will expand in your lungs and like cause them to pop. It's very bad. Your blood will not evaporate or do your eyes explode like no um you, you might like slowly lose some liquid from the exterior body like your skin will bloat out but that's not you, you don't like blow up you actually will feel very little pressure the biggest thing will happen is like you have no oxygen in your lungs so you just have to wait for your body to run out of oxygen and so it's sort of like drowning in that sense but and then you basically if you're rescued within an x amount of time um, you're probably fine. You might get a sunburn from exposure to the sun. You don't freeze, which we'll get to in sunshine. <laughs> um, the sunshine's a better movie than this, but, <laughs> but um, still not particularly freeze, realistic. Uh, and and your eyes don't explode out of your head. Um, like none of that happens. But the fact that they at least tell him to like blow all the air out of his lungs is like pretty good. And also. It probably worked because, like, he's screaming so much. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was. I wanted to pause there real quick. And I'm not saying that, like, what they do in these movies it, it, it is, like, needs to be literally true. Because, like, the uh, the ecstatic truth of the moment is way more way more important. Like, the fact that his eyes explode, I think, is, is a good thing in this movie. Well, and the veins popping out. And then when he hits the lungs, the way all the blood pops out of his mouth. Yeah. Like... That scene, uh, and and again, I didn't know either what the the decompression did, and I think it's that's helpful to know for when I get decompressed someday. Even though we actually know what decompression does to you in movies, there's this entire cinematic language for what what decompression is. Like there's yeah, some yeah. variation, well, but not as much as you would think, considering it's essentially pulling non scientific information out of their asses. I, I don't know where that started, but but I just yeah. I don't get it. Probably the black hole. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> um, no, it's, uh, but it's conv- like, it's convincing, especially yeah. having like La- Lawrence Fishburne go, here's what you need to do. Like, he's such a calming thing. You're waiting for that clock to tick down. Like, this movie has some good set pieces and some bad ones. A lot of the good that ones is very have much a Lawrence good Fishburne in them. He's good. I was in a weird, like, bubble where, of age, where when I saw The Matrix, I'm like, oh, it's the guy from Ventura. Right. Like, that only was a very, that was a very small window. That was people that had never seen another Lawrence Fishburne <laughs> movie, but saw Ben Horizon before they saw The Matrix. Yep. Or before they saw Apocalypse Now. Oh, I definitely saw Ben Horizon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I... So here's the thing about Coop. I fucking love, so he has like this scene at the end where he gets blasted off when the Lewis and Clark explodes. Uh, and that's, like, his biggest, like, st- stereotypical, like, smart-ass character in these movies. And he's like, oh, shit. And all of a sudden, like, tonally, he just does not belong in that last act of the movie. However... No, he's, like, a weird pseudo-comic relief for what yeah. should be, like, you... The you most terrifying in moment. the dread. Yeah. But I will say this, as a 14-year-old, holy shit, him coming back and going, like, yes, motherfucker, like... Was like was like the ray of hope I needed at a part of this movie when I was fourteen. So he absolutely does not work anymore uh, in the last half of this movie, 
or the last, at least the way he, that he's kind of portraying how this is like crazy shit he's dealing with as opposed to like a hell dimension swallowing. But again, he was a fucking relief when I was 14. Do you think that he worked better in a longer cut that had more graphic horror, longer, you know, sort of uh, low rent Hieronymus Bosch of blood orgies? Like, do you think that... Do you think that he worked better in a two hour ish cut where there's a lot of a lot more shit happens? Because we're only as crazy for like 10 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> like full on crazy. I, I don't I, I don't know the answer to that. I will say, though, like his tone at the end when he's like shaking Jolie Richard and is like, don't worry, like we're saved. Like that's like the actor can clearly do that tone, like do the tone there that is the worst possible time for him to be on full cocky mode like uh and the movie does like i do find some humor by the time he does get back to save everyone that there's a fucking nail gun that goes right by his face and you think he's dead again and he's kind of like oh shit like that was very funny to me it came after like one at again at a 14 year old one of the most terrifying parts of the movie the the part that's like been memed to death that is like the memorable line from this movie which is the where we're going. We don't need eyes to see. And, like, that's a very creepy, effective moment. And so, puncturing that both literally... Or roads. Or credit cards. They don't need anything. Uh, but puncturing that moment both literally and figuratively with him coming to save the day only for the window to explode through a nail gun. Like, again, it's so out of place. It is such a bad directorial decision for him to just be like, oh, I'm back. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Like, Terrible. But again, as a fourteen-year-old, I was like, "Oh, thank God, because this is the scariest shit I've ever seen in my life." I need, I need that. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. At thirteen, I remember being like um, watching this with a group of people and thinking it was a pretty scary movie. And at the end of it, being relieved that there was a happy ending. Oh, interesting. Like, you think it's a happy ending? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got a Krampus. I I want to speak to that a little bit because I was thinking about the ending of this and and what I like in a horror movie ending because The Descent which is a much better movie um, and has some nods to cosmic and unknowable horror so watch that Um, (laughs) The Descent has two endings. The original UK ending uh, have either of you watched it? Yeah I love The Descent and and The original UK ending, I I haven't seen it is basically that she hallucinates um, her daughter and then, like, the camera pulls out and you realize that, you know, she's just snapped and the the creatures, we'll call them the creatures, are cro- closing in. And the American version um, has her getting out and she hitches a ride on a truck and she has this very visceral flashback hallucination, I think, to to the um, to the woman, her... Uh, her husband was having the affair with who was down there in the cave, but I don't remember for sure. But, you know, there's kind of that jump scare at the end. People say that the American version is less dark because she doesn't die. And I'm always like, but okay, she's either broken by this. She's hallucinated the whole thing all along and she's completely off the tree. Everyone she cares about is dead there are going to be a lot of questions once they figure out that everyone's gone missing in this cave. How is this the happy ending? 
It's not, I think it's all relative, right? Because, like, I like, because I like to think debt, but debt is clearly worse than PTSD. Well, yeah, but, like. You can walk your way back from PTSD. You can't walk your way back from dead. She literally got pursued by a bunch of weird mutant things in a cave, and what, are they real? Was she just losing her mind the whole time? All, all horror movies end with some sort of, oh, of sweet ending, if, if it's a happy ending, right? Like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's like, she's fucking yeah. nuts. Yeah, but that's them. what I'm saying. I'm like, but, but is it really that? everything's going to be yeah, okay. Agreed, agreed. And the thing about Event Horizon is, is that flash of weird, we don't know. Is that her having like a, a PTSD moment? Is it her coming out of stasis or is it that that gate to hell is just, we're just going to use hell is just never going to be closed. And her next ship is also going to be taken over by guilt manifesting eye gouging maniacs. And we just don't know. Which is what you were saying about, you know, maybe like the the restraint was that he didn't put the end at the end. But it's still I think it's it's more open ended than just, oh, everybody's okay That's good. Yeah, I actually I've always I've always seen it. And it is supposed to be one of those you could read it either way. So but I always saw it as um, a Twilight Zone ending and the kind of horror ending where you get your little sense of relief and then it lets you very clearly know that it's not there. And the the reason I think that is not because you see the flash of Weir, it's because it is kind of um, bookending the part oh, at the right. beginning yeah, yeah. of Weir. It's, it's the exact same. Where it's, the, it's literally the exact same setup, setup and yeah. scene. And like that's when it started for him. And so the same thing happens to her, which is like, oh, it's going to begin again. And that's like punctuated by the overemphasis on don't worry yeah. you're, oh, safe. you're safe you're safe you're safe and then the the scary pan out through the the demon spike doors yeah. what um, is, so i what is yeah so i always i guess i always read it as a twilight zone ending too, yeah. where it's supposed to be setting you up um i never got the impression they were safe but again it is supposed to be open-ended clearly peter and i sometimes see these like twist endings as uh I forget which. Where were you on Krampus? Were you that they were happy or not in a hell and dimension? I, I feel like I thought they were in a hell of dimension, and you thought they were good. Yeah, you thought that they're in a hell dimension, trapped in the snow globe, and my and I was talking about how there's like a whole thing with Christmas where Santa looks into his crystal ball and he can see what you're doing. Yeah, I thought so. I thought forgetting about the snow globe capacity because I think we'll we'll all agree there's snow globes in Krampus, whether we agree that part of the Santa legend. But um, I will say that like, <laughs> so. Uh, but my impression was that they were still trapped in the hell, and Peter's perspective was that they right. were not. So it is interesting that when there is a hell dimension, Peter. Apparently, I'm on the side of they are in the hell dimension. And you are on the side of they are they have escaped the hell dimension. I think that it's just a cheap horror movie that wanted to throw in one last scare. I don't read it as having any sort of deeper deeper implications. And the fact that he put the end at the end just means that he's like, there you go. That was my spooky little movie. And I don't see the movie as having any sort of uh, overall, at least in the current edit, having any sort of overall modus operandi that he was planning this whole time to to have an ending that was sort of a ambiguous ending you don't think it matches the beginning exactly the fact that it begins with a dream and yeah. it ends with a dream cool like yeah you could totally read into that because like that's how film works and dreams are a powerful narrative device in movies and books and songs and whatever as long as we've been telling stories dreams have been an important narrative device at the beginning when we're is like having that dream I don't think they delved into enough how terrifying it would be 
to be in cryosleep and be stuck there and then be having nightmares for years on end. These surrealist, odd nightmares where anything can happen (laughs) and nothing can wake you up. Like, they don't delve into that. Like, that is the, that is next to hell. That is the scariest thing in the movie. The idea that your, like, nightmare space could have, like, no bounds. Has there been a movie that's, that that does seem like a ripe? That's a Lovecraft thing. I think that's a very ripe uh, place, but I also think the problem with it is that the it was all a dream trope is so overused that even though I think that is a, a nightmarish area to explore, and I wish something would, because I, I agree with you, that idea of like, oh, what is that, what is that infinite dreaming that you're supposedly unconscious, what is that like, what kind of horrors lurk within there? But I do. I just think it's probably not used because no one wants to end it with it was all a dream. I, I, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'm projecting what I want on the movie, and that's that I'm sick of ending movies with it was yeah. all a dream. <laughs> we all. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, and I don't think this movie is all a dream. I just think it it has the Twilight Zone ending. Like you're right, it's the the end, or is it? Because it seems like we're about to see the horror start up. And I'll tell you what, uh, it's a. Ex- Probably one of the most common, if not the most common horror trope is so much for safety, and I usually like it most times, just because I am a sucker for the Twilight Zone ending. Like, if you're sucked into the movie enough, I think you you aren't thinking ahead of, oh, they're going to twist this and this happy ending is fake, like... I love I love it when I get sucked into a happy ending, which happens all the time in horror movies, only for it to be like, oh, shit, horror's going to keep going. So it's an overused trope, but it's one that usually works for me, as embarrassing as that is. They're leaving some sort of one puzzle box, and they're entering into a larger puzzle box. They're leaving one one aspect of it. And, you know, that's that's – I mean, I guess that would be in keeping the whole – if I were making your argument for you – I would say the the entire idea behind the event horizon, the edge of this black hole that's been captured. So yeah, the, we talked about this earlier, but the, the, a black hole being captured uh, is the the point of the movie. That's black hole that that we are meddled with the yeah. wrong science, and then when everyone's like. Hey, dude, that's pretty fucked up what you did. He was like, I don't see why there'd be a problem. <laughs> like, a- after someone has already gotten fucked yeah. up by it. Like, I feel like yeah. those scenes were out yes. of order. Um, anyways, so uh, the, the, the point of an event horizon is that it's like this perfect theoretical space on the edge of, of a black hole that, like, nothing can escape from. The event horizon is very uh, – it works even if you don't understand the scientific concepts, which I don't as a, a evocative horror name, but also could help argue your point that this was all within this hellscape's domain that you're they in can't escape and you're from never it. getting yeah, out. There's, there's, their ship got a little far, but it's, it's all coming back yeah. to the hellscape. Sooner or later, it comes back to the hellscape. <laughs> it always comes back to the hellscape. There's one little moment I want to mention because I don't know when, when else I'd ever get to share it, but it's something that I do think about every time I see this movie, which is... Uh, if you guys don't remember, at one point before uh, Pierce Brosnan took over for uh, for Timothy Dalton, for James Bond, Sam Neill was in I do remember that. And I always thought he was a weird choice for James Bond until I saw Event Horizon. Because when he gets out and doesn't have his shirt on, he absolutely has the James Bond of uh, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and uh, pre-Pierce Brosnan's physique, which is, like, not out of shape, but, like, 
super in shape for the 60s, but not like he just has the frame of like Roger Moore and Sean Connery. And it was like, oh, yeah, that looks like James Bond without a shirt on. Like a thick hunk. Yeah. She's not She's not a lean Chris Hemsworth kind of like no, I haven't he's sucking in the past <laughs> six months. He's clearly sucking in the gut a little bit, but like he's not out of shape. He's just not like as fit as James Bond's would get. Yeah. Yeah. Because they eventually got to the Daniel Craig part where he's like fucking <laughs> punching steel walls yeah. in the freezer yeah. to get in shape. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a good uh, aging James Bond yeah. bod. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, which, I mean, James Bond should have an the, the body of an alcoholic who's pretty active. <laughs> yeah, But exactly. not an alcoholic who spends any time working right. out, right? Like an alcoholic who goes on a beach yep, run yep. every few days. <laughs> and doesn't eat a lot, but mind you, all of his calories are alcohol. Um, this movie does have one very funny line that gets me every time, too. Uh, which is not, unfortunately, any of Cooper's attempts no. at humor, but it's a Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> no, Lawrence Fishburne's line right after that you watch, you spend 90 seconds watching the fucking orgy uh, death right. tape and everyone just is silently staring. And he's like, we're leaving. You know, and <laughs> great line <laughs> delivery. It, perfect. It's exactly moment. what someone in their right mind would say. Yep. Fuck this! We're getting out, and that—that that is another one of those moments where I do actually give credit to the movie because so many people in horror movies don't do that. You know, it's—it's it's the total cliche. Yeah. You know, it's—it's such—it's so ingrained that they spoofed it in um, Cabin in the Woods that anyone in their fucking yeah. right mind would go, "Yep, we're going home now," and no one does. <laughs> and Lord Fishburne is just like, "Nope, fuck." this we are leaving and it's so well directed because it does leave yep. the tape is done and it just it sits on everyone yep. for three seconds staring going, at the, the blank tape and not at? moving and he's like we're leaving <laughs> i love it because it's like it's as if like uh <laughs> it's as if like your whole family was huddled in a little corner of a weird family party around christmas and then like uh you know uncle bob's uh you know drunkenly singing again and she's yep. like Time We're to go. leaving. <laughs> it, it reminds me of Eddie Murphy Delirious has a lot of problems, but one of the things that still holds up and is not horribly offensive is his uh, uh, the uh, the Amadeville yes. horror part where he's like, why do people? And it's literally almost a point for that where he's like, man, this house is so great. Can't wait to live here. And then the voice goes, get out. He's like, too bad we can't stay. It's 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 that moment in an actual horror movie where it's like, oh, what is going on the ship? Fucking blood orgy eyes holding out people's like arms and people's mouth and just like, well, too bad we can't stay. Let's get off the ship as quickly as possible. Yeah, there's literally a hell wall that has like human viscera sprayed all over it. And everyone's like, everyone's like, uh, but we're supposed to bring the doctor here for a reason we never spelled out. He's got to see what happened with the drive. His baby. Uh, what other little moments did you guys either like or very much dislike? Most of my fond memories of this movie are just Lawrence Fishburne. Um, you know, that the blood orgy scene is just the right length. And in a movie that has no yep. idea what the right length is from most of its scenes, it's it's really well done. Like, I, I would stand up for the first 30 minutes, 45 minutes of the movie, and then it, it just loses me, which is why I get, got mad at it. You know, if I just hated it start to finish, it would be different. <laughs> uh, but the other thing, uh, I did actually come back and sit on the couch once my ex-husband, I think, was like, it's not so gross now. And I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, as you do when when you're 20-something. 
final bits between Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill as they're ready to, to blow everything up to, to try to save somebody. <laughs> um, Lawrence Fishburne really puts in excellent work there. Um, I, as I said, like the, 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 there are two black cast members, which honestly for that era, bonus points, it's, it's amazing to watch something like Black Panther or Aquaman and go, Oh, this was always feasible. We could have done this all along. Lawrence Fishburne was the black captain too. Like no one cared to the end of the movie. Uh, that's cool. Uh, but I really, I'm not sure I've ever not enjoyed watching Lawrence Fishburne in a movie, uh, or a TV show. He's just brings his a game every time. Um, and he's so charismatic, even when he's being kind of the gruff jerk face. Um, and I really, you know, for, for as much as I had physically checked out on this movie and as, as delighted as I was to trash it, um, I really, his last scenes with Sam Neill are really good. Yeah. And Sam Neill's good there too with his doing Sam, Sam Neill kind of has to hit one note really hard. Uh, by by yeah. that point, because he's been taken <laughs> over and he's supposed to be like the personification of a hell dimension, which to be fair is probably a little bit tricky. But on the other hand, he has one note and he just hits it all, all the time. He knows I, that I think note. Seeing Sam Neill as a Cenobite is worth the cost of admission. I don't know about you. He doesn't get the cool outfit though. Yeah, he doesn't get any cool leather. Yeah, is he's naked? Yeah, all cut up. There's a part where he kicks yep. Lawrence Fishburne, and I feel like if I ever felt like pausing, zooming, and enhancing, <laughs> I may see a, a, a very, very, very disturbingly um, uh, Sam Neill penis in case they really went all the way and made like that look like the rest of him <laughs> in that scene. Um, one of these days, I'll get the old technology out. and I think that's the other point of comparison this movie suffers in comparison to Hellraiser is Hellraiser has this whole undercurrent that you're going to get tortured to death and you're going to love every minute of it. And event horizons horror is much more, well, this is awful and everyone's going to hate every minute of it. Um, and, and I think that that yeah. sort of undertone undercurrent that, that uh, is, you know, sort of essential to the whole Hellraiser franchise just makes it more interesting than, oh, you're going to get stuck in hell. There's going to be blood orgies. Oh, they'll suck. Hellraiser, I think, takes on another level, which is why it is uh, in that it is like tempting and people keep going back even when they realize like there is a torturous transformation. It's that idea of like pain and pleasure. Yeah, that that weird, sort of like, knife edge between the Literally Pandora's two. box yeah. that they offer. Yeah. yeah. And this is more... You're, you had nothing to do with it except for Sam Neill. Uh, you had nothing to do with it. It's it's totally random, which should make it more terrifying. But then because it sort of half-asses this, you know, is it your earned guilt? Is it unearned guilt? It kind of muddles the yeah. two things together. And it just, it, it, it doesn't make it as visceral or as, um, I don't want to call anything that happens in either of these movies relatable. <laughs> Everybody's had that kind of a moment where something feels intense and you're not sure what you're feeling. Uh, you know, when, when you really injure yourself, sometimes your body yeah. has this whole half a second where your whole body floods with adrenaline and then you go, oh, crap, and you realize what's happened to you. Um, so, you know, even if you're not doing Clive Barker level BDSM, uh, you, 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 you can feel some sort of relation to those sensations and this is more 
did you feel guilty about something last Tuesday? One of the aspects of, of kind of Cosmic Horror is that it is sort of inexplicable and it comes out of nowhere. Again, it feels like they're trying to do both. They're trying to go, oh, we're yeah. playing on your inner fears and your guilt. But it's also, you know, just because Sam Neill did this stupid thing and it opened up key to the wrong dimension. But that's the kind of thing about like Paul, Ta- or <laughs> damn it, Paul W.S. Anderson. This, this Anderson guy. P.W.S.A. The thing about like all of his movies is that they don't have like themes. <laughs> like they don't have a broader point. Like the, the, this movie is a great example of that. You're right, Bridget. Like a better filmmaker could have taken the the structure of this and been like, let's do some themes so some stuff makes sense. But like, as you look at all of his body of work, like there's no themes in anything. It's either uh, a lot of cool shit, some cool shit, or no cool shit, and that's how we judge his movies. Like, and and that's not necessarily bad, but he probably is the thinnest big budget filmmaker I can think of. Like there there is a theme in Mortal Kombat. Uh is it dun, 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 oh, dun, wait, dun, that dun. means there are but there is a theme in Mortal Kombat. It's a shallow theme. It's again stereotypical. Um but it's about the lead who turns out this is one where um it does kind of a clever thing where you're gonna think that the white dude Johnny Cage is our hero. And he is a hero, oh, yeah. but he's not the hero who saves the day. Um, so our actual hero um, is, um, yeah, Liu Kang. Kang. And Liu Kang has to overcome his doubts and his self-doubt and his guilt over the loss of his brother. So much so, because, again, this is not a guy who believes in nuance. The bad guy so impersonates his murdered brother at the end of the movie. And he has to see through the illusion and embrace who he was truly meant to be all along. Now, it's a cheesy yeah, narrative. I think it's that's a the plot. one narrative. But it's a theme. It's about... You know, you can only run so far from who you are and you have to let go of the past and move on to the future. Uh, Sonya Blade also has to learn to let go of the past. You know, it's it's yeah. dumb and it's goofy, but it's actually pretty straightforward. It's it, it doesn't feel muddled to me the same way Event Horizon feels really muddled. No, I really like Mortal Kombat. I, I, I will stand up for Mortal but- Kombat as, as my favorites shitty video game movie whenever we get around to our video game month which we really want to do i guarantee mortal yeah. kombat will be on there and you will be so so uh, i'll get to talk but, about two but movies I, like by the, the shitty direct weir has some of the best moments in the movie um and the fact that like he oh. <laughs> the fact that he like doesn't understand why the black uh, hole device is unsafe is very funny to me and if and when they go up to him and they're like asking him like, "Hey, you're the only scientist on board. Why is this shit happening?" He's like, "I don't know, gravity or something. I I don't fucking know." <laughs> like him offering pat scientific answers really makes me love Sam Neill more than it's ever loved made me love him before. He's very like, convincing. Um, but he, and he has one of the best scenes in the movie, which is or I think the best image in the movie is him in the light tunnels. It's so cool. It's yeah. clearly ripping off aliens, yeah. but it has this really beautiful, clean texture to it. It kind of reminds me of Cube. It, 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 it's so creepy because, like, they do the shining thing also where he turns a corner and then he turns another corner. And, like, theoretically, he should be back where he began, but he's not. And uh, I, I think that whenever the movie has to hand the reins off from Weir 
to Lawrence Fishburne, I think that the movie suffers in some regard because not because Lawrence Fishburne is a bad actor or or Sam Neill is a great actor or whatever. It's because both of them are great actors, but it shows something that I think is the actual problem with this movie. And that's that we don't have enough time to sit with these characters and really develop a sense of drama around them. The the sense of drama that would be built is like the exact thing that Aaron talked about, where it's like the movie seems like it's about Weir, and then it eventually hands it over to Lawrence Fishburne taking over as the captain, or Jolie Richardson taking over as like sort of like I'm the person of action now. I need to convince everyone to get behind me, and the movie does, the movie fails to do that. So while the movie fails to do that, it also fails to be a good gore delivery device. The movie's not that gory. There's that amazing scene where the corpse is free floating and then it drops and then it shares in the floor. Well, what about the and cutting like, open the scar stomach? That's, I mean, and and then he and hangs on, on the blood orgy, and, and he, the blood the waterfall. Guy, and he hangs on the he hangs on the hooks like people that do that recreationally. Like, come on, challenge me. This is fucking the late 90s. Like, you should be able to gross me out. And I know the movie was cut to shit by the producers and, like, that is part of the deal. But the one thing that really uh, genuinely disturbed me was the video. And the video is, like, eight seconds long. (laughs) It's like 60 seconds and they flash to it over and over when uh, or a different version with his own crew during the uh, do you see part at the end. And And while that imagery is great, I think the movie is not that great of a a hell imagery nightmare imagery delivery device because it fails as both a character piece and which you know as if it was a great character piece i would have loved to have seen the two and a half hour cut of this right maybe that was just a working cut it's kind of in interviews it's kind of shifts back and forth between just being just a work cut and being a final cut uh, that they showed to people and being uh, a cheap little trashy horror movie and i don't think it quite delivers as a it definitely doesn't deliver as a dramatic thing, and it definitely doesn't deliver as a cheap, trashy horror movie for me. So, and a lot of the scares are just jump scares and sparks and random violence, like people just deciding to be violent and yelling. And like, uh, that's fine if it was if the cheap horror delivers, but like, this doesn't deliver as a B movie for me or like a satisfying, like true what it is a big budget prestige horror movie and so it kind of falls in this nether zone i land in the middle for it because i i don't hate it nothing in it is truly like offensive to me except for the lost promise i'm always 10 times angrier at a movie that that ruins its promise i i it's just who I am. <laughs> they, you know we were all rooting for you i, I just I, I i and and i the stock characters were so stocky uh especially the the women um, it, it was, it was too much for me. Um, agreed. There aren't really characters in this. There's like, there's just, there's just archetypes. Um, and, and like I said, they're, they're pretty gendered it, and it does, it, it has that little video, which, um, it's interesting that, you know, some of the controversy around this was that it was cut to shit and reassembled and general consensus is that there was much more blood orgy footage. And I'm like, yeah, well, that, that sounds very on brand <laughs> and it does not give me any confidence that the director's cut would have been better i still appreciate some of the things it does well especially after this conversation i appreciate some of the things it does well a little more but then still gives me that sense of frustration with what the end product turned out to be i i get that and again and, and i'll be honest like so much of my love of this movie is rooted in like 
one of my favorite movie years of all time, which right. is 97, because I finally, like, had the ability to go see a lot of movies, not just being in a situation where I could go lie to my parents and go, <laughs> to go say I was seeing The Man Who Knew Too Little for the third time when I was actually seeing something else. But uh, or or whatever else it was, but also like being able to go to friend's house whose parents right. worked during the day in the summer and then literally just yep. mainlining uh, RoboCop and Total Recall and all these fucking movies that I wanted to see. So like in 1997, like I, I tried to make a quick list of like I saw like Devil's Advocate in theaters, which blew my fucking mind, uh, uh, even though it definitely is doesn't hold up as well as it did when I was 14. But the like first half of that eh, movie is good. Mostly yeah. Good. Star, I mean, stuff like Starship Troopers, the game, Mimic, the Relic. Like I was watching like these aren't some of these movies are much better than others. Starship Troopers and, and the game, especially. But like I was watching a lot of these types of movies, horror movies, big budget uh, movies for the first time. And it was at a time when Hollywood was still like producing a ton of R rated, truly like not just adult fare, but big budget adult fare. It, like, this was, like, part of that. This is, like, the first probably, like, R-rated horror movie I saw. This is, like, the first time I saw this level of gore and imagery and all this stuff. Uh, and it starred, like, in, you know, Sam Neill's performance, Lawrence Fishburne's performance. Like, they they have stayed with me. And, like, you know, I discovered this Sam Neill performance before, well before I discovered In the Mouth of Madness and literally like 15 years before I saw Possession. So like this uh, and even before I saw Dead Calm. So like this version of Sam Neill was so new to me. And so like and seeing someone that was like an actor I love because like a lot of people when they saw Jurassic Park in 1993 who loved dinosaurs, it became one of my favorite movies almost immediately, uh, if not my favorite movie when I was 10. So, so I get it. Like this, this is something that if you watched right now and you had seen 15 years of horror movies, I, I can't imagine you walking away besides going, oh, the special effects were fine. Sam Neill's fun to watch. Like, that's what this movie is. And ultimately, that's where it's landed for me. Like, I'm not still going to people like I was in high school and college going, you want to see the scariest movie of all time? Uh, it's a Event Horizon time. <laughs> like, you know. I, I don't know when I will end up watching this again, but, like, it just holds such a special place for me as, like, the thing that eventually catapulted uh, me into, like, a love of horror and kind of grotesque imagery as part of a lot of these horror movies and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's 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 a nostalgia pick, but it's one I can still enjoy watching. And that is my final thoughts on Event horizon bridget yeah thank, thank you so you. much for joining us yeah thank you bridget this was a lot of fun um anything to plug for in the green room we were talking about um how i've uh made uh friends of the local select board um i would like to encourage everyone to show up at whatever their local government meetings are because <laughs> there, there's a lot of times where I am the only person who has not been elected or is getting paid in the room lately um, in the school board. Um, that never happens with the select board. Uh, but you don't have to be an elected official to pay attention and to get involved at the local level. A lot of decisions at the local level are really the ones that are affecting the rest of your life. And not unrelated to that first statement, support your local library. Libraries are cool invest in literacy and access and 
letting people learn and do their taxes and get free Wi-Fi when they're on vacation. You know, it's it's libraries do so <laughs> much these days. You can rent movies at libraries. Some libraries will let you do yeah. streaming. It's a whole new world. And um, it's really interesting to see that, you know, there's almost like this bell curve where a lot of people my age and younger are absolutely going, oh, yeah, this is, you know, this is a gateway to information for a lot of people. And a lot of people around my age to about I'd say maybe mid 60s are like, well, who needs libraries anymore? I have my tablet. Uh, so anyway, support your local things you believe in, whether it's going to local government or hassling people about the library project or whatever it is that matters to you. I know that's painfully generic, but it's also super important. Um, and people will do things because they think they can get away with them because they think you're not paying attention and they think you don't care. And if you don't show up and you don't vote, you, what you are literally telling them is that they are right and you don't care. Yeah, Bridget always has the best plugs. And I will say, if you go to those local school board and local government meetings in your town, in your county, whatever else it is, you'll find Bridget there. All she goes them. to all, all of, of them. them. She does She does an 18,000-city uh, uh, tour. Uh, there's some unincorporated towns she doesn't make it to, but everything else, you'll see her. Our, our bullshit, let's just be honest. <laughs> yeah, she fights uh, other towns to take them down. There you go. Because she needs to scratch a few <laughs> yeah, that's, offertory. That's, that's the reason I just keep the Mortal Kombat theme on my phone, just in case a fight needs to break out. <laughs> uh, and because you got to remember all the characters' names. Lou Kang, Johnny Cage, Sonya Blade. Uh, so, so helpful in the lyrics. Um, but anyways, yeah, Peter... It's the beginning of a new month. We're one down. Next week, what are we doing? Doing Jason X. Jason X. X gonna give it to you. See, finally, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, maybe we could have named this month that, but no, you're you're uh, subverting uh, America's Very Specific Sweethearts Month with Meg's gonna give it to you. <laughs> you ruined it, Peter. And I'll tell you what, God help us if we ever watch whatever movie that was featured in. In 2001 that I saw. Do you remember what the name of that movie was? Exit Wounds? I don't think it was Exit Wounds. That was the Steven Seagal one. Uh, dead, death, Dead to Rights. Cradle Will one. Cradle Rock. to the Grave? Cradle to the Grave. Not Cradle Will Rock. <laughs> Cradle Will yeah. Rock to the, the John grave. Turturro directed period <laughs> depression movie. Uh, no, yeah. Cradle. I definitely saw Cradle to the Grave with Jet Li. What was yes. That? Yeah, Jetly, Jetly, and uh, they kept trying to make Jetly and rappers work yeah. for a long time. Yeah, his chemistry with Aaliyah is like the only good thing about Romeo Must Die. Yeah, actually, actually, let me take that back. Kiss the Trick, it's pretty good. Uh, oh. It has Bridget Fonda in it. It's better already. Uh, yeah, we're doing that, and then we haven't quite worked out schedules. So uh, one of the next two movies you will see will either be the original Alien or. Danny Boyle's 2007 movie, Sunshine. We should probably try to spread out Event Horizon and Sunshine as much as possible, because even though I don't think Sunshine is ripping but Sunshine me off, is better. There's some similarities. <laughs> so much, much better. Much better. I'm glad we're doing the I'm glad we're doing the, the shaky ones first. Get it get it out of your system. Look. But who knows? Maybe I like Jason X more than Alien. Do you no, have you seen Jason X? Actually, no, I've seen it. I saw it in, in junior high. I, I've seen it, yeah. Okay. I feel like you've stopped telling me movies you haven't seen, so it's a surprise when we get to the episode. Because it's I ask on these endings and you're like, guess what? Never seen it. We've been discussing it for eight months with the way our planning cycles work. Never came up. Yeah. <laughs> um I like 
I, I the Friday the Thirteenth movies are not very good. Uh, I think I think the best one is the remake. Uh, I think the most fun is Jason X, but uh, I hopefully we're here to praise it because it has literally been covered by every bad movie podcast. That's like this is stupid, and my answer is yes. It's so much fun <laughs> in its stupidity. Thank you very much, Bridget, for coming on, and we can't wait to have you on again. Yes, and I hope that your next appearance. It's not far <laughs> on the horizon, and it's an event to remember. Here's what I'll do. Bridget, hold on. Bridget, you're safe. <laughs> Episode's over. Bridget, <gasps> you're safe. <gasps> ah! Lost in time and space. folks thanks for listening to we love to watch thank you so much for listening to our show and we've got just a few quick announcements for you there ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs baby if you'd like to talk to us uh tell us we're stupid tell us we're beautiful the quickest way to get to us is our facebook group facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.